Steph Weaves Tales presents Paxwood, The Haunting of Paxwood House, a paranormal fantasy web serial written and narrated by Stephanie Gildart. Episode 9. Ignore Instincts, Suffer the Consequences. This is one of those memories where emotion overshadows detail for all eyewitnesses present and willing to provide their perspective. Shar, driven down the hallway by the massive black dog that had emerged from the cellar stairs. Me, in pursuit. Behind the dog, shivers running through my body, a spectral woman breathing down my neck. All the lights we'd turned on flickering, flashing, dancing wildly on and off, transformed from filament to flame. The black dog closed the distance while Shar hauled one large front door open. Either the door resisted or my adrenaline slowed my perception of time. She turned, framed by the entry so much like I'd been just moments before, but she wasn't smiling. The camera swung wildly from a lanyard around her neck now as she scrambled backward and the dog stalked forward. She thrust her hand into one of her pockets to pull out a colorful little cylinder with an elastic string. A reusable confetti popper? Her mother offered those as eco-friendly party supplies for events she catered. I went for the dog. The dog went for Char. Char pulled the string. A glimmering dust cloud popped into the dog's face and it yelped and drew back. But Char was still moving backward, eyes wide. The porch! I shouted too late. Now I rushed past the dog toward Shar as her foot went over the edge of the porch and she fell backward, body twisting, arms flailing, eyes wide. The confetti popper fell from her grasp. Momentum and angles worked against her. Her arm gave an audible crack. She wailed. And suddenly, somehow, a lithe pale man with dark hair dressed in an expensive suit bounded up the stairs, waving his arms and shouting to drive the dog back. The Sylvium lawyer? Had I hallucinated him into being physically present somehow? And why him, imagination? Then Trisha Anholtz was there too, in her own expensive business suit, kneeling down next to Char, cell phone up at her ear. I promise you, this is not a prank call. I'm calling from Paxwood House. That's right, that Paxwood House. I'm here with a teenager who may have a broken arm. What were these two doing here? I was kneeling next to Char, across from Trisha Anholds. When had I done that? Char cradled her broken arm against her chest, trying her best to slow her breathing. I rested a hand gently on her uninjured shoulder. You're going to be okay, I told her. This... This was my fault. I ignored warnings. Mix Cardoso, the way the realty people spoke, the looming aura around the house, even my physical reactions to this place. I hadn't been fast enough to notice the dog or the ghost, and now it wasn't a ghost, Char said. The salt hit it, and nothing happened. Salt. I repeated. Then, the confetti popper. It wasn't full of glitter. Shar actually listened when I talked about the paranormal stuff. 
She even paid attention to my cross-cultural analysis of natural preservers and purifiers that provided protection against hostile metaphysical entities. And that had been a tangent. The dog ran away. The lawyer emerged from Paxwood House. Yes, she's breathing and her pulse is steady, Miss Anholtz was saying into her phone. I don't think I see any external bleeding, no. No external bleeding, but I gritted my teeth and inspected Shara's injured arm. What did my health teacher say prevented vomiting or fainting at gruesome sights? Balanced breathing. Inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth. It is swelling. You, would you be a dear and go open the gate for the EMTs? How did she manage to sound so courteous? So polite. The Sylvium lawyer, Hugh, was paler than ever. Had his gaze been a little too intently focused on Char as she writhed in pain? Was Trisha sending him away because of it? Of course. He moved past us down the drive. Miss Anholtz focused her gaze on me next. Please keep her talking while I make sure there aren't other surprises. Yes, I agreed. Then she was standing up, phone still pressed to her ear, moving around the outside of Paxwood House, and I was alone with Char. Pain twisted her face, tears still flowing. I'm sorry, I said, fumbling with my phone. I'll call your parents, put it on speaker, okay? Good idea. They need to know what's happening. As I scrolled through my contacts looking for either of the adult musos, a question occurred to me. The Dog wasn't a ghost, but did you see the woman? Char took a shuddering breath, but then she nodded. Yeah, that had to be a ghost. There, her dad. I dialed. In two rings, he picked up. A stupid pang of jealousy plucked at my heart. My parents loved me, even if they'd only call back after I left a voicemail or sent a text. Every family had different ways of communicating. Shar's hurt, I said. Paramedics are on the way. Here. I held the phone down close to her. Shar? Mr. Musso asked, breath hitching. Hey, Dad, she said. Sorry, wasn't watching and I missed a step. I'm pretty sure my arm's broken. That was about as far as the conversation got before the sirens. Everything blurred again. The ambulance. The paramedics. One asked for my phone to talk directly with Shar's dad. It could have been two minutes or ten before they had her on a gurney and moved her into the back of the ambulance. Time was meaningless while she was hurting. Can I ride along? I asked. The paramedic sized me up, then handed my phone back and nodded. In the front seat. You'll still be able to talk to her from there. Thank you. Miss Anholtz reappeared just as I started toward the passenger side door of the ambulance. Miss Reese Hayes, before you go... We were here looking for the keys to Paxwood House. We'd wanted to do a walkthrough today, but the agency checked them out to you? That's right. Well, that explained the curiously timely arrival. I'll make sure the keys get back to the agency first chance I get, and you can check them out next. They told me not to give the keys to anyone and return them when I finished. Oh, I can return them for you no problem at all, she purred. I didn't have time to analyze what made me so uncomfortable with her offer. I'd rather keep to the letter of my agreement. Sorry. 
I hopped into the passenger seat and closed the door before she could offer any other protests. More sirens, more time blur. Then Char was in surgery while I sat with her parents in the waiting room, working out some way to apologize but finding only pensive silence. At some point, Mrs. Musso put her hand on top of mine and asked me if I'd called my mother yet, which I hadn't. It gave me just the excuse I needed to step away for a moment, gather my thoughts, find something to say other than, this is all my fault. I headed outside of the hospital to find myself some breathing room, but rather than call, I just sent a group text to my parents. Sorry, I'm fine. Char's hurt. I'm at the hospital waiting for her. When my mom's reply text came through, the timestamp gave me an anchor point, even if I swore it had to be a text from the future. Could it really be almost 4pm already? Char and I had met at Paxwood House about noon. The message itself was about what I would have expected. I'm glad you're alright. Keep being a good friend. I headed back into the waiting room. After more pensive silence, the surgeon emerged, smiling. The surgery was a success. She's waking up. You can go see her now. Go ahead, Carrie, Char's mom said, waving a hand. I want to ask a few questions about the injury and operation, if I can. Of course, the surgeon said. I asked for a room number and went on my way before anyone could change their minds. Char was already awake and talking with the nurse when I arrived. Between the adjustable bed and the plush pillows, she was sitting upright. The nurse was in the middle of explaining the controls. And if you need help with anything at all, no matter how small, press this call button, the nurse said, finishing up. She did one last comfort check before she moved on. Char tracked the nurse out the door, then saw me there. Carrie. She sounded so tired. I came in and stood next to her bed. I'm sorry. This was all my fault. Accidents happen. Her words were so soft. No one's fault. But everyone was saying not to go. Everything about that place said we should leave, and I ignored it all. Tears stung at my eyes. Unfair tears. I wasn't lying in a hospital bed with a broken arm. I didn't need to cry here. You did it for a story. That's who you are. What did she mean by that? I couldn't read her strained expression, interpret the pitch of her voice. She didn't sound like herself. I'm going to need some time. She was looking down at her cast now. I swallowed against a massive lump in my throat. My fault. All my fault. Of course, that makes sense. I saw it, though, she added, softly. And now I recognize that her head was lolling slightly, eyelids drooping. You've been through a lot. I stood up. Sleep, if you need sleep. I'll get your parents, okay? Best friend I'd ever had. And she needed time. This? This was not the story I'd come searching for. Thank you listeners for tuning in. Paxwood, book one, The Haunting of Paxwood House, is written and narrated by Stephanie Gildard. That's me. Theme music composed by human nature. Visit PaxwoodTales.com to read the story as it unfolds. Want to read over my shoulder while I write what's next? Catch me live on Twitch for laid-back virtual write-ins and crafting. 
If you like the story and you want more, like, review, comment, subscribe, and if you're feeling particularly entangled, buy me a skein of yarn on coffee. Carrie's paranormal tip of the day. It's true. Salt disrupts ghostly manifestations. Salt can do a lot of things, even if it can't fix most of the problems I create for myself.